Hi, and welcome to Axel Bank Reports History and Today. Conversations with America's top nonfiction authors and why their books matter right now. I'm Evan Axelbank, and today we're going to speak with Craig Pittman, the author of Oh, Florida, How America's Weirdest State Influences the Rest of the Country. This is his fourth book, and he's a veteran environmental reporter. Uh, he now writes for the Florida Phoenix, and he spent many years working at the Tampa Bay Times. He also does his own podcast called Welcome to Florida. So you've got a, a Florida pro, a Florida expert, and a Florida man here with us today. Craig Pittman, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. And, you know, I've got a machete to prove that I am a Florida man. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's all kinds of things we could use uh, to prove we're yeah. Florida men. Uh, so, uh, Florida. Uh, you wrote this book a few years ago. I love it because it's um, a biography of Florida. And it was great then and even more relevant now for all kinds of reasons, but especially um, because of coronavirus. So uh, I'm going to list a few things here that are unique to or associated with Florida. Disney World, alligators, manatees, beaches, a southern state with a huge northern influence, eight-lane <laughs> streets that we've all driven on, Crazy drivers, old drivers, slow drivers, heat, lightning, spring training, baseball, snowbirds, crazy politicians, poorly run elections, 11% of the electoral votes needed to win the presidential election, and of course, Florida men stories that grace the internet. Uh, do you have any you want to add? <laughs> Did I get them all? There's got to be more. Um we have more we have more invasive species than any other state, including the, you know, the the headliner pythons. So, <laughs> and, and some of them get brought here as pets. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. Some get brought here as pets. Some, you know, hitch a ride on, on uh, various conveyances. But uh, the pythons, they were, you know, they were released by irresponsible pet owners, basically. <laughs> and now they've kind of gobbled up the Everglades. So <laughs> welcome to Florida. Um, and now, Florida. <laughs> sadly, we can, you know, sadly, we can add COVID-19 to the list. Uh, Florida is now being called the epicenter Yes, of the COVID nineteen epidemic. Um, but you start. That's a, there's a headline to attract tourists, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And that's only like half of our economy. So, um, uh, you start the book, uh, though. Oh, Florida! You start the book by letting us know that you wrote a blog on Florida, and the problem was not finding enough content. The problem was squeezing all the content in. So instead of Oh, Florida, I ask, Why, Florida? Why are you this way? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I go into it in some detail in the book. Um, um, the thing you, the thing you really got to understand about Florida that helps to make sense of a lot of it is that we went through this wrenching demographic change. We, you know, before World War II, we were the least populated Southern state, and then as of 2014, we were we became the third most populous state. We passed New York. So, um, and you know, people aren't. People aren't evenly spread over the whole peninsula. We're kind of crammed into that 30 mile wide swath along the coast and along <laughs> Interstate 4 where the theme parks are. It's like so, a sandwich. Yeah. So you, you cram that many people in from that many different places, that many different backgrounds and cultures, speaking that many different languages, uh, into that small a space. And they're bound to start, you know, crashing into each other's cars and <laughs> chasing each other with machetes and arguing over whose dog pooped on whose lawn. Um, and, and think about who the people are who have come here. We've got ex-CIA agents who fell in love with Florida while training for the Bay of Pigs invasion and, mm -hmm. and then came back when they retired. We've got um, 
uniform Scientologists because Clearwater is their spiritual headquarters for the world. We've got um, uh, Hooters wait staff because the first Hooters was founded here in Florida. We've got uh, uh, professional python hunters, monkey breeders, spam kings, uh, uh, strip club moguls, and, you know, 29 electoral votes <laughs> every election. <laughs> So explain, um, and you go into detail uh, on, in the book, but explain what it is that Florida has that people see from the outside, because it's famous for attracting people who were sort of halfway through life or, or less or more. Um, um, uh, what does Florida represent to people who don't live here? Uh, they see Disney World beaches luxury south beach a vacation but what does it represent to the outside world i think the outside world it represents this sort of wacky paradise where there are no rules you know you may remember in the in the 1980s we had a tourism slogan the rules are different here um and i think people interpreted that to mean that oh there are no rules and there are no consequences to our actions while we're there and the second part of that is definitely not true um, <laughs> there are consequences uh, Yes, exactly. And for a lot of people, it offers a second chance, too. Or I, I, in the book, I call Florida the land of a thousand chances, because people who have screwed up somewhere else, they come here and, you know, try and, and live a new life, but often wind up doing the exact same thing. My, my favorite example being uh, the guy who invented the Ponzi scheme, Carlo Ponzi from Boston. You know, a after he's arrested in Boston, he comes to Florida, tries to start afresh, of course, immediately gets involved in a, a land fraud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <So>. and, and, and that's one of the things that, I mean, you and I are both reporters in Florida, um, and I um, have interviewed so many victims, unfortunately, of yeah. the Ponzi schemes who happen to live in Florida. It's like, they fe it feels like they all live here. Right. Well, you know, um, the New Yorker a few years ago in an article by George Packer actually labeled Florida the Ponzi state because our entire economy is based on really a Ponzi scheme. It, it, we have to have more and more people moving in every, every day in order to prop up the economy and keep it going. So what, and, what do you mean by that? Well, why is that? Explain that. Well, uh, you know, for, for not just tourism, but for real estate, that the, you know, our, the basis of our economy is we've got to keep the real estate machine going, which means we have to keep developing and we have to keep getting more and more people moving in to buy these homes. And, um, you know, that, and that's why our economy goes through this cycle of, of boom and bust. You know, we'll, we'll have a big boom like in the 1920s, followed by a bust. And then it's as if people have amnesia. Suddenly, oh, there's a boom again. Oh, everything's great. And then we go bust. And, uh, and the uh, biggest know, like bust was in 2008. I mean, it was horrific yes. down here. Yeah, but I suspect we're heading for, I suspect we're about to, be if we're not already in the middle of another one boy so, well no one wants yeah. to hear that um no. uh, uh so then buy my book now while you have money <laughs> <laughs> absolutely you should definitely buy oh, florida um so i i asked you why are you this way florida now i want to ask um how is florida this way and one of the things you argue in the book um is that florida's geography um we're all sort of trapped here on this peninsula um it's this weird mix of weather and doom that sort of piles up and actually impacts the way we think and the way yes. we feel about living yes. in Florida. So explain that theory that you have, because it was so interesting. Well, I mean, Florida is basically trying to kill us. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we've got, 
the, the obvious thing, and, and hurricane season is our annual reminder of that, you know, that we are the state that get, gets hit by more hurricanes than any other state. So already we're thinking anything I build is going to be, you know, it could be temporary because it could be washed away tomorrow. Um, but we also have more lightning strikes than anywhere else in the Western Hemisphere. We have more sinkholes than any other state, you know, swallowing up everything on top of the ground up to and including people's houses and cars. Uh, and occasionally people. I was going to um, say, yeah. uh, uh, And uh, we have more shark bites than anywhere in the world, including Australia. Uh, I think because we taste so good, but that's just me. Um, and uh, we're the most, we're supposed to be the most vulnerable place in the world to climate change because our, uh, our elevation is so very, very flat. We're actually flatter than Kansas. So, you know, if you're on a peninsula surrounded by water and you're very flat, well, as the water comes up, it's liable to, to encroach much further inland than anywhere else. So, you know, you put all those together, you got the hurricanes, you got the, the uh, uh, sinkholes, you got the uh, uh, climate change, the sea level rise, uh, shark bites. Uh, and of course, I haven't even mentioned the, uh, that creepy clown college down in Sarasota. And you put all that together, you know, but on the other hand, we tell people it's paradise. <laughs> yeah, everyone says, I love living down here. Um, yeah. uh, one of the things, though, that, that you argue is that all of those factors pile up. And so if there's even if it's a subconscious thing, there's this, there's this sense of doom that people may have somewhere inside of them. And that impacts their behavior. Yes, it's a sort of a live for a day uh, mindset of, you know, here I am in paradise, nothing certain, you know, let's let's party now. Uh, and, you know, you see it most fully with the uh, the hurricane parties that people throw whenever they see a, you know a category one or two storm coming they're like oh it's not serious until it's a three let's you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and let's think drink. about that a hurricane party i mean that is yes. something that happens all the time and during hurricanes here in florida yes yes exactly um eat, eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die <laughs> Do you, uh, and we're laughing, it's not a joke, but but, uh, do you remember um, a few years ago, this might be even maybe seven, eight years ago, there was a cockroach eating contest in Broward County. And a gentleman unfortunately died during that. um, that Classic good news, bad news story. Good news is he won the contest. First prize was a python, by the way. Uh, the bad news is he died and the medical examiner found that he had choked to death on insect parts. And my question was, how often does the medical examiner check that box in Florida? Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, suffocated. Um, Yes. uh, And then, you know, people who come down here um, often find themselves in trouble, even if they're on just a vacation or something like that. I mean, there was that horrible story of a, I think it was, and I don't want to go through all these horrible things that have happened, but it does, I think, um, provide a, uh, and I think they're good illustrations of this, not this sense of doom and the sense that really strange things happen. But there was a family that came down from the, the Midwest and a poor three-year-old was eaten by an alligator at Disney World. Yeah. Which um, then promptly, then promptly put up a sign saying, beware of the alligators after the fact. Right. After uh, the fact. And, and so somebody pointed out, you know, if we can't trust Disney to warn people about alligators, how good are they going to do reopening in the middle of a can- coronavirus pandemic? <laughs> and, we, and we will talk about coronavirus. But but I also want to ask, um, when it comes to the hazard of alligators, that is a persistent thing. And there's also this idea that there's, some, well, not an idea, but there is the fact that there's something lurking below the surface and that 
the hurricanes kind of sweep in from out of nowhere and the the sinkholes come from out of nowhere and the alligators are under the water. And so not just the sense of doom, but you sort of can't see it coming until it's like right there in front of you. Well, you can see the hurricane. I guess you coming. can see a hurricane. Yeah. yeah. You can see, I, no I grew up in a household where, where every yeah. June 1st, my mom would pull out a fresh hurricane tracking map and hmm. put it next to the, next to the radio in the kitchen. And every time there'd be like a little dust storm off Africa, she'd start plotting it trying to figure out where it would go. She's actually, I've found that she's, her predictions are more accurate than the National Hurricane Center after all these years. Really? Is that true? <laughs> yes. is she, is she, yeah. she should, uh, she, she should, should have been be a meteorologist. She really should have been, you know, um, uh, <laughs> she predicted uh, Charlie's hard turn to the left before anybody else did. <laughs> and, and it was well, you know, it wasn't quite a hard turn because he was at first an independent, and then he went. Uh, to, well, not no, not Charlie Chris. The, oh, oh, the oh, you mean the hurricane? Hurricane Charlie. <laughs> hurricane Charlie. Yeah. I thought you were saying she could. It's easy pop. to get him confused because you know thought, Charlie does travel with a fan that blows air on him. Um, <laughs> that's right. He does. Um, I, he but does. I, there was one thing I was going to say though about you were talking about people who come down here uh, and are surprised to discover you know the consequences of their actions. There's an there's an old Floridian line of come on vacation, leave on probation. So. <laughs> right. right. Um, you brought up, or I guess I brought up politics. I thought you were talking Charlie Chris, but let's talk no. politics a little bit. No. Um, uh, uh, all you have to do is say 2000. Um, and it brings oh, yeah. back all kinds of memories um, for everybody in America. What was it like to be here? Uh, it was brutal. It really was. I mean, it, it, if I hadn't been a reporter trying to cover it, it might've been entertaining. Um, the thing, though, is, is to me, 2000, which, by the way, the, the recount, that three-week recount, guaranteed nobody in Florida is going to name their child Chad for the next 50 years. Um, uh, it, 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 it was the turning point for me for where, how Florida view, was viewed by the rest of the country. That you know, was the then, turning point. Interesting. We were, we were viewed as, you know, this lovely vacation spot and, uh, and occasionally a place where, you know, stuff got shot up into outer space. But um, but people behaved in such a wacky way during the 2000 recount, in particular, Catherine Harris, the secretary of state who was in charge of things or supposed to be and didn't didn't know anything about election law because she thought secretary of the position of secretary of state meant that she negotiated with foreign countries the way the U.S. secretary of state does. Um, that's what first gave people in, in the rest of the country an inkling that people in Florida are weird that Florida itself is weird, that weird things happen here. Uh, and in this case, something weird happening here was affecting the rest of the country. And uh, uh, you, can, you can chart it like that, I think, because uh, in 2001, in early 2001, there's, the, there's this satirical website called FARC.com that collects weird news stories, and they gave Florida its own tag. Uh, usually, you know, usually the tags are ironic or ridiculous or something like that. Now, as of 2001, Florida became a tag for stories on FARC.com. It's still the only state with its own tag. So that was the turning point in the way Florida was viewed both by people outside Florida and also politically, because it really revealed itself at that moment to be this hugely important swing state because Democrats right. suddenly couldn't win anywhere in the South but Florida. Right. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is it revealed how deeply split Florida's electorate is. I mean, we in the book, I'd say we're not red or blue. We're, we're as purple as a stone bruise. And, uh, you know, our, our Democrats actually have more people registered to vote in Florida 
by a small margin, but Republicans get out the vote better. And so uh, that's why we, you know, the 2000 recount was sort of a harbinger of things to come. We've had a, quite a few recounts since then, in, including in the last election, I think we had three separate recounts, uh, one for the governor's race, uh, one for, I want to say one for attorney general, and I forget what the third one was, but yeah, three got, statewide recounts in one election. It's incredible. The, yeah, the, uh, the commissioner of agriculture, I believe, went to a it. recount. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're looking at 30,000 um, uh, votes split uh, the, the race for uh, Senate with Rick Scott and um, Bill Nelson. Yeah. And then 11,000 votes split the race for governor, uh, DeSantis winning over Andrew Gillum. And then uh, I don't remember the number of commissioner of agriculture, but but it, it is extraordinary. You have three recounts uh, in one election. Think about that. Um, there's also, you may have heard, a full-time Florida resident who is also president of the United States now, at least according yes. to... To, to President Trump's paperwork. He has declared yes. himself a, a Florida resident. Which, um, you know, to me makes him more Floridian than, than most in that, you know, it's, it's all facade. Well, so is Florida for the most part. Right. So, so I, but I, I wanted to ask, is he representative of the Florida man or do you think that's not an appropriate comparison? Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, uh, you know, because two thirds of us come from somewhere else. Well, yeah, he's, you know, he's from New York. Um, he's, uh, uh, how can I put this? He tends to be rather loud and opinionated, which lots of Floridians are. Um, sometimes he says things that are not uh, based in reality. Well, that's a that's a Floridian specialty. I mean, you know, we've got we've got whole places like the villages where they've got historic markers up that are completely made up. So right. <laughs> you know, he fits right in. And he's the tendency. first Floridian to be president. That's correct. Yes. Um, uh, generally speaking, Florida has been an impediment to presidents and not and not a producer of presidents. You know, the, the, there was a Floridian involved in the Lincoln assassination, screwed up his assignment and, and uh, wound up getting caught. The Watergate burglars were from Florida, screwed up their assignment, wound up getting caught. Uh, <laughs> you know, you see a pattern here. It's extraordinary. Um, another major Florida politician is Charlie Crist, and I brought him up earlier because I thought that's who you were referring to. But, but Charlie Crist, you tell a wonderful story in the book um, you basically say he is the perfect Florida man. Um, you ran into him at a grocery store, and I want you to tell people what you found Charlie Crist doing at the grocery store. Oh, this was great. It was a, it was a Publix, a little Publix in, you know, close to my neighborhood where I go in and, and, uh, and shop. And I walk in, and there's this huge crowd of people in front of the lottery counter, which that's not unusual when the Powerball is, is way up. But they were all surrounding this guy in a blue blazer and tassel loafers and and uh and it was charlie christ uh and everybody was chatting with him and taking pictures with him and that kind of stuff and he said he was there to buy a lottery ticket because you know if you, if you don't play you don't win that was his, what he said and so the governor or, or i guess he was governor at that point um he was ex-governor he was, he he was he, former governor he was no longer governor yeah uh, and and he is there buying a lotto ticket and he and yes. and that's the that's the facade that we all chase as floridians we've got to right. get that we've got to win that money Absolutely. To pay for the houses we have. Now, I have to tell you, the other, the, the one time I ran into him while he was governor was on Pensacola Beach during the 2010 BP oil spill. And he was there. He had a whole procession of people following him behind, following behind him as he's walking the beach to go out and look at the, the oil washing up on Pensacola Beach. And he spotted me and some other reporters and veered, immediately veered off his path and made a beeline for the reporters. 
<laughs> and immediately started talking to us and then said, oh, and by the way, this guy standing, have you ever met Jimmy Buffett? He's here with me too. <laughs> it's great. And Jimmy Buffett does go on the campaign trail. I saw him at a yeah. rally for Biden or for Hillary Clinton a couple well, of years. Jimmy was, Jimmy was concerned because he was trying to open up one of his Margaritaville hotels on Pensacola Beach the same weekend the oil showed up. <laughs> well, there's always an inconvenience out there somewhere. I guess it's I know. It was, a, it, was a little, it was a little bigger problem than stepping on a pop top. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, th there's a saying um, in Florida, the further north you go, the more south you get. Um, how does that make Florida a swing state? Um, it's a little misleading. It, it's it's real? a little Explain misleading that. because, yeah, because yeah, I mean, if there are places, there are places in the interior of Florida that are very southern. Uh, you know, um, where you can, you know, like LaBelle, you can still get a bowl of grits in, in a diner in LaBelle. You know, mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, in general, people in South Florida are from up north. Uh, either they they're New Yorkers who drove down on I-95 to, uh, you know, uh, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, or there are people from the Midwest who hopped on I-75 and drove down to the Gulf Coast and found retirement places. And they, uh, and so, you know, they bring with them often this mindset, if they're retirees, this mindset of, I'm not really from Florida, I'm really from wherever I came from. And so they're still concerned about what's going on up in those states and a lot less concerned about taking care of the state they live in now and the state that, you know, really they kind of control the fate of. So that's why you often see uh, older voters going out to, to vote against uh, tax increases that are supposed to help the schools because they figure, oh, well, I already raised my kids. I don't care about the kids of these, these people now. Um, and then uh, in northern Florida, of course, that part of the state is closer to Georgia and Alabama. And you get a lot of people going across the state line uh, back and forth. And the, the, uh, some of the sensibilities are the same. Uh, although it's interesting, I, I grew up in Pensacola. Uh, and yes, I grew up, you know, saying y'all and eating grits hmm. and, and so forth. And, um, and uh, we had family that had come down from Alabama in, in 1850. I mean, that's, you know, that's how far back. Uh, so we had still had relatives across the state line and, and and so forth but um but yet and so it, it has pensacola has this very conservative political bent partly because it's so close to alabama and, and very religious sort of, sort of a bible belt town and also uh because the military there's a big military presence there and, and in some of the other panhandle towns like Fort walton beach but on the other hand pensacola is a port city Mm -hmm. with all that that implies so it's politically conservative but socially very very liberal with lots of um, uh, lots of things that cater to sailors. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, and, and over the Memorial Day weekend, it has one of the, it has, if not the largest, one of the largest uh, uh, LBGTQ gatherings in the South every Memorial Day. And that's been going on since the 1960s. And it's, and it's extraordinary. You know, we should, we should point out um, it's an extraordinarily long drive. If you were to go from oh, yeah. the, southern tip of florida which technically um is um uh the florida keys and drive yep. the you know whatever however many hours it is to miami two three four hours to miami and then it's um you know another 10 12 hours um up to pensacola it's a long way i'd say it's about 16 total uh because it's it takes me eight hours to get up to visit my parents in pensacola it takes me about eight hours to drive down to key west 
So 16 hours to drive through one state. Texas has this bigger, this, this reputation of being this big giant state come to Florida. It's a long drive. And yet it's not a wide state. And so several times when I was working for the, for the Tampa Bay times and before that, the St. Petersburg times, I would get up in the morning, drive three hours over to the other coast, spend about three hours doing a reporting job over there on a story and then drive back in three hours. And you know, it's a nine hour day I'm, and I'm done, but I've been to the, I've been to the other side of Florida and back, you know, um, and it's, it's doable. So. Yeah. It, oh, it really is. Yeah. I've done that drive a number of times. Um, I think that's an important point you make that so many people are from other places that they get here and they feel they, they don't have a responsibility to the local and the state government. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, they, and they don't feel a sense of ownership either. Uh, which is too bad because they, if they paid attention, Florida has this great open government law, the sunshine law that we originated and that other states have copied. And so you would think people would feel an urge to know how their tax money is being spent and, and would want to say something about it. But often they're like, eh, you know, I don't get into local politics, you know, and they're, you know, they'll rail about whoever's the governor of the state they came from. But they're just not paying that much attention to what right, I'm really here. from. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I hate to beat on the villages, but you see that most distinctly, I think, in the villages. People there pay very close attention to national politics, but I don't think they're paying that close attention to what's going on in their own backyards. Uh, bef- and I, I want to get to coronavirus, but one thing I want to talk about before that is a really tremendously serious issue, which is climate change. Let's just explain where, you know, the, the, the main politicians here in Florida see climate change and how much of an impact it can have on this state that is land, you know, surrounded by water. Um, well, as I mentioned, Florida is considered to be the most vulnerable state to climate change because of our, our you know, we, we're surrounded by water and we're, we're very flat. Um, uh, Rick Scott, very famously, was accused of uh, banning state, state employees from even mentioning the term climate change. Um, now, of course, his, I actually got an angry note from one of his aides when I mentioned that in a story. And he did a lot of things for climate change. I'm like, yeah, but, but not to stop it. <laughs> um, uh, and and uh, DeSantis, uh, to his credit, he, you know, he, he won't necessarily say the words climate change, but at least he's interested in what he calls resiliency. He appointed a chief resiliency officer who went around the state to get people's ideas on how to deal with climate change. Uh, and she turned in a report and quit and took another job, and he hasn't replaced her. Uh, and he appointed the state's first chief science officer to look at that and also at uh, the problems of toxic algae blooms, which, by the way, are another manifestation of climate change because of um, uh, temperature uh, increases that tend to make them worse. Uh, but the chief science officer has now gotten another job, and he hasn't replaced him either. So um, We'll find out soon whether that was just political rhetoric that he said to get elected or if he really means to follow up on this stuff and, you know, keep these offices open. Um, and he did just sign a bill into law that says that if uh, if there's a state-sponsored project that's being constructed on, on the shoreline, there needs to be uh, an impact study done in regards to uh, how that fits in with climate change. So... Um, so that's a, that's a promising thing, but that's one thing, you know, out of a, an awful lot of stuff that we ought to be doing, uh, you know, on the flip side, we know in Florida that the two big, uh, contributors to, um, uh, the greenhouse gases we produce are our power plants 
uh, burning fossil fuels and cars, cars and trucks on the highway producing uh, emissions. And rather than and and rather than try and cut back on those things, uh, DeSantis signed into law last year this bill to build three very expensive uh, new toll roads through Florida, uh, one going south through Florida Panther habitat, uh, the two others heading north, one of them all the way up to the Georgia line. And when asked why he signed it, he said, people need roads. Well, you know, mass transit would probably be better for climate change, for dealing with climate change, but we're not, nobody in, nobody in Florida leadership is in favor of, of that. Incidentally, I, I was curious on the toll roads, whether Georgia knew we were coming. So I called, <laughs> I called up the Georgia DOT and said, hey, we're building, uh, we're, we're going to be building a new toll road all the way up to the Georgia line. And they were like, wait, what? <laughs> You're doing what? Really? <laughs> yeah, really? nobody had Maybe told we should connect it to our roads. Yeah. And then, and, uh, and then I called the uh, uh, transportation people in the county where it would terminate. And they were like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> you know, uh, we hadn't had much traffic up here since y'all closed your dog track in Ebro a few years ago. <laughs> uh. Dog tracks. That's something else we've got here. Uh, yes, Florida. but we're closing uh, those too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, was, that's a good point. Um, thinking of climate change, is Florida going to be around in 100 years? Uh, I think Orlando will. <laughs> we could all move there. Why not? That's right. I think, uh, I think Disney World will be waterfront property. I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. It's hard. I don't have a crystal ball. I, don't, I can't peer into the future. And the scientists I talked to, although they agree the sea level is rising, they can't agree on how fast it's rising, but it does seem clear that it's rising. Um, my most recent column for the Florida Phoenix was about uh, the Finger Canal subdivisions that have been built around Florida starting back in the 1920s and how they're having big problems with sunny day flooding now. Um, uh, you know, one was in the Florida Keys, a place called Stillwright Point, where they had standing water in the streets for 90 days straight. Mm. Um, uh, the Los Olas Boulevard area in Fort Lauderdale, which is where Finger Canal construction started in the 20s. And, and one guy I talked to every year when the king tides come in, he watches the water creep up, his, creep up through the streets and then up his driveway. And he says every year it gets a couple of inches higher. Um, and the reason and then, for that is, is, just, um, is just because the water has gotten higher and what you yeah. don't see is under the ground, the water is moving further and further up through the you know, sewer systems and, and right. then when there's a storm, there's nowhere else for it to go. Right. And then uh, Cape Coral is the ultimate example of this. Uh, they have so many finger canals that they actually, they have 400 miles of canals more than any other city on earth. And they're now ranked the number one city in America at risk for flooding. So. Uh, and I, I tried calling people at the city hall there, but uh, to talk to them about it, but uh, nobody returned my calls. I guess they were too busy bailing water out of city hall. Um. <laughs> you got a sharp wit, uh, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, I want to come to the present day now. Uh, okay. Your, your addendum could be titled coronavirus. Um, first, it, it was fine, and the governor uh, was gloating, saying Florida. Victory lap. Yeah, <laughs> Florida is never going to be New York. Um, yep. Come on down here and play. If you have a sports league, bring that here. We're going to find a place for you. Uh, and now here we are with setting daily record cases uh, or daily numbers of record cases, new cases every day. Uh, and and deaths are going up. And yeah, and, they, so, and the hospital ICUs are filling up to the point where they can't take any more patients. Yeah, so so I, I gave a little bit of a recap there, but but take us back to the beginning of this thing in Florida and how 
the political response was at the beginning and then what we saw with the numbers and then how the numbers changed over time. Give us a recap um, here. Uh, I guess the key thing you have to know about coronavirus in Florida is that Ron DeSantis got elected because Donald Trump liked seeing him on TV. Um, he, uh, he beat uh, a far more experienced uh, and possibly qualified candidate in the Republican primary, Adam Putnam, who had been uh, representing Florida in Congress and then, uh, and then was state agriculture commissioner for years and was a native uh, of central Florida. Uh, DeSantis beat him very handily in spite of having only spent, uh, you know, a couple of terms in Congress and no other prior public service. He had been Putnam a, had uh, been priming himself for that job yes, for a long time. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Basically since his twenties. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and DeSantis just steamrolled over him because in, while in Congress, he'd made a number of appearances on Fox TV and talked up the Trump agenda. And so Trump, uh, endorsed him over Putnam and, uh, and then squeaked out a win over Andrew Gillum in the, in the, uh, gubernatorial election. So he comes in and he's got, he's got this background in Congress and in being on TV, but he's got no background in working with local government or with state government agencies. And I'm not sure anybody really thoroughly briefed him on how, how great an emergency management system Florida has. You know, we've, we've really got it down to a science when it comes to hurricanes where, uh, you know, all the local governments know what to do. They know how to cooperate with the state and so forth. And, uh, and they look to the governor for leadership on this because he can mobilize the National Guard and do all kinds of other stuff. And instead of working with people, you know, down the line like that, it seems like what DeSantis has done is taken all his cues from the White House and, uh, and then made lots of pronouncements. He, he travels around the state and make, suddenly pops up with very little notice to reporters about where he's going to be and says, you know, I'm here to announce X, I'm here to announce Y. And, uh, and he often does not coordinate with the local governments either about what he's doing and what he has in mind. There've been lots of complaints about that. Um, lots of complaints about a lack of transparency from the state health department about getting uh, statistics about what's going on. Uh, rather notoriously, the woman who was in charge of putting out the statistics and, and so forth for the, uh, for the Department of Health uh, got forced out and then immediately set up her own website where she's tracking them independently. Uh, the numbers that were being put out by the health department didn't jibe with the numbers we were getting from the medical examiner's offices about number of deaths. And so the medical examiners were told stop putting out numbers, which is, you know, in Florida goes against everything we're about as far as our government, as far as open government. Um, so, uh, so you've got that as a factor. And then the other factor is, you know, as we've talked about, Florida is a, ba is a state where everything is based on bringing people in, pack them in, packing them in as tight as we can and taking as much money from them as we can. And so uh, the instinct is throw open the doors, get people in here. And, uh, and you know, social, so social distancing completely goes against everything Florida stands for. Uh, closing down businesses, including the theme parks. Oh, my God. You know, that's that's completely unheard of. Disney has stayed open during hurricanes before. Um, but uh, to their credit, some of the, uh, although the state wasn't taking action like other states have, uh, DeSantis has, you know, still refusing to issue a, a masking mandate um, just because he doesn't think people will comply. You know, well, gee, we, we have, 
we have uh, driver's license laws. Uh, you know, we have uh, uh, speed limit laws. Um, and we also have cell phones. That, no, I'm kidding. Yes. yes we, sorry we, about that. No, it's all right. Sorry about it. And of it's course, right. it's, it's a scam likely. So that's a very Floridian <laughs> right. phone call. Um, uh, you know, we've got speed limit laws. We, you know, people break those all the time and yet we don't get rid of them. Um, so, so explain where things, so, 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 you know, there may be measures that he didn't take. Explain right. what happened. Well, to and, these and the numbers. point I was, I was yeah. leading yeah, up to is, yeah. is that in spite of that, a lot of the businesses stepped up and did the right thing on their own. Uh, I did a big piece for Politico where I looked at the uh, uh, Floribama Lounge uh, up on the Florida-Alabama line on Perdido Key, where every year they have the, the interstate mullet toss, where people, I mean, thousands of people from both states pack onto Perdido Key to watch people throw fish back and forth across the state line. And there's, you know, it's like <laughs> Sounds all kinds fun. of addition. I know, it's great. It's a classic Florida thing. And they they closed uh, the Floribama Lounge prior to spring break when DeSantis was leaving the state open through spring break, which of course led to spring breakers then taking the coronavirus back home with them and spreading it to where they went. Uh, but the Floribama Lounge closed down prior to spring break and then announced that they were postponing the uh, the mullet toss. And in at the same time, they set up uh, online concerts for their local uh, musicians who would come in and normally would play. Now they're doing online concerts. So they made that change really fast. They were being, you know, in spite of Florida's, you know, live for today reputation, they were being very responsible and, and more responsible than the state government was. And the numbers now um, have, it was like, you know, if you remember a few weeks ago, it was five, 600 cases a day. And at the time of this recording, which is July 10th, we've got 10, 11,000 cases a day. So yep. cases have gone up 20 fold. Um, yep. And one of the things that, you know, we'd been, um, we've been watching closely is the hospital, um, yes. the hospital capacity, and that's become an issue. And, um, you know, hopefully by the time this airs or this goes live in a month, it, it won't be any worse than it is now. Um, but explain the, con- yeah, explain the consequences um, uh, right now of, of the, the virus on hospitals. Uh, well, I mean, Dr. Fauci said yesterday, you know, we, Florida reopened too fast. And, uh, you know, people went out and, and acted like, oh, everything's fine now. We're going back to normal when, in fact, we were still, were still contagious people out there who didn't realize it. And so um, as people get sick, they have been going to the hospital. And meanwhile, the hospitals themselves, their nurses and other staff members, they're testing positive as well so they lose their staffing they they are unable to keep the high level of staff that they they should have uh the place with the biggest crunch in the state i think is jackson uh memorial down in miami dade where um they actually put out an emergency request for 100 additional nurses and the governor had to find a way to dispatch 100 new nurses down to miami dade to which is you know miami dade is a major hotspot for coronavirus so Mm -hmm. It's well, basically like sending sending firefighters, you know, right right into the middle of the, the conflagration. You no, know, the governor has made very clear that he wants to, uh, as he puts it, keep Florida or get Florida working again. So and oh. and send the kids back to school too, which an awful lot of school boards are resisting very strongly. Uh, Palm Beach County, I think, just voted to say no. We're going to keep our schools online only in the fall because to do otherwise is to put the kids' health at risk. 
Well, it would certainly be, make for quite a chapter uh, if you would write, were to write a sequel to Oh, Florida as uh, the coronavirus chapter. Is all of this that we're talking about, is this something that should be fixed? Is this something that, that we need to, to, to take action to change things in Florida? Um, and I'm not talking about coronavirus. I'm talking about all the things that we're talking about here. Um, or is this just something that, that we have to live with in Florida, that this is the way Florida is and it'll always be this way? I guess the best answer to that is to point to point back to the Ponzi state thing again and to point out that, you know, every day, well, maybe not right now, but every day we get about 800 new people moving in here. And so whenever there's an election, politicians are facing a completely different electorate every single election. And so the people who have moved in don't necessarily know what the issues are, don't know the background of the politicians. That's why we're able to have people like, um, uh, you know, Charlie Crist, who's been in three different parties, <laughs> who gets, you know, who, who manages to somehow bob up to the surface again every time he gets knocked down. Uh, people don't know his background. Um, Alcee Hastings, who as a judge was actually impeached uh, and more recently was under an ethics investigation for having an affair with an aide and resolved the, resolved the investigation by marrying the aide. Um, and I'm sure he's going to get reelected again, too. It's, it's just, it's marvelous the way uh, Florida voters, whenever they go to the polls, seem to have amnesia. And it's not that they seem to, it's that they, a lot of them just don't know the background, don't know the issues. Would it be good if people did know the issues? Yes, absolutely. Um, because Florida voters are, they tend to be very motivated. Um, during the, uh, uh, when, when Obama was running, at one point, I think there was uh, a six-hour wait to vote in some counties and people stood there and waited. I mean, they wouldn't, people wouldn't wait six hours to get on a space mountain, you know, <laughs> but they would, they waited to vote for Obama. They were highly motivated. Um, whenever something shows up on the ballot that seems like a really good idea, people will turn out for it. 75% of the voters voted for amendment one, the, the uh, constitutional amendment that said the state had to spend a certain amount of money on buying environmentally sensitive land. Of course, the legislature then reinterpreted that so that they could spend the money on salaries and other stuff that doesn't really buy land. Um, but the intention was there. The, the voters liked the idea. So if I think if the voters were paying closer attention to what was going on and not relying quite so much on who spent the most on TV advertising, which was Rick Scott's big uh, uh, advantage, you know, maybe we would see things different in Florida. At one point in the 70s, we actually uh, passed a number of really uh, uh, far-sighted laws. Um, of course, we still had lots of corruption going on at the same time. You know, uh, three different uh, three different Supreme Court justices who resigned in disgrace and so forth. But um, uh, nevertheless, we did pass some really far-sighted laws. Uh, one of them being the, the Sunshine Law. So uh, could could, that, could we go back to that again? Maybe I don't know. It would be interesting if we did. Uh, before we go, I want to have you talk about your new book. Uh, it's got a wonderful name, Cattail. The we the uh, let me let me get this right here. Cattail: The Wild Weird Battle to Save the Florida Panther. It's a bit yep. of a tongue twister, but it's a wonderful title. Um, so uh, I want to have you talk about it. The Florida Panthers is not. We're not talking about the hockey team here, and they might no, have, no. Okay. We're talking about our our official state animal, the Florida Panther, uh, uh, which is uh, this highly endangered. Uh, major predator. Uh, 
in the 1980s, Florida school children picked the panther as our state animal, um, uh, although there were some write-in votes for monkeys, believe it or not. Um, and, uh, and as a result, the panther got a lot more attention from the state, a lot more funding, and yet in the mid-90s, they very nearly went extinct. Uh, and so uh, they were brought back from the brink of extinction through this um, unprecedented scientific experiment. And so uh, I, I just, I loved this story that's telling this tale, pardon the pun, of how, <clears throat> how basically Florida school children saved the panther because if they hadn't put that focus on it and call it the state animal, it might not have gotten the assistance that it got. As it was, it was sort of this ragtag band of uh, uh, scientists, veterinarian, uh, and, a, and an old school Texas tracker who all kind of combined forces to uh, to figure out what was going wrong with the panthers and what needed to be due to sa done to save them. And they're, they're really fascinating characters. Uh, one of them uh, is this uh, biologist uh, named Deborah Jansen, who at one point actually tried to save a dying panther by giving it mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, which... <clears throat> honestly is a devotion to the job you seldom see in America these days. <laughs> um, uh, but it's right in this book, I've been writing about Panther issues for about 20 years. And every time I would write one, I would think this, write a story. I think this would make a great book if I had an ending. Uh, and finally, about three years ago, I got a good ending, a, a hopeful ending, maybe not a happy ending, but a hopeful ending. And I said, okay, now I can sit down and write the book proposal and, and start writing the book. Why did you? Why do you think we need a book on Florida panthers? What's what? What do we all? What should we all take away from this fight to save this precious animal? Um, well, we were very thoughtless in the in the things that we did that put them on the road to extinction, uh, and political pressure, for instance, uh, and money took precedent over science in allowing uh, developers to wipe out vast swaths of, of panther habitat. Um, also, there was a lot of, uh, it was one of the themes of the book. It's not, it's not a highlighter. I didn't hang a lantern on it, but it's there that a lot of the people involved who had the answers were women and they conflicted with the, their male colleagues and superiors over what needed to be done. The women were right and, and they had a hard time convincing their, their, their male colleagues of it. Um, uh, and so I guess sort of the lesson of the book is saving this one charismatic subspecies took a tremendous effort and and a lot of money and um uh in the end it's still you know they're doing better than they were uh we were down to about 20 in the mid 90s and now wow. we've got about 200 wow uh, prowling prowling what's left of wilderness in florida now where are about, they in florida just real quick uh generally south of the caloosahatchee river south of fort myers okay. in uh in the big cypress area corkscrew swamp Thakahatchee Strand. Uh, there are some in the Everglades National Park, uh, but they're they're wide ranging species, the males in particular, and so some of them have wandered as far north as as Georgia uh, um, at various times. So, I mean, you think about all the effort that went into saving this one subspecies, and then think about all the other endangered animals that we have here in Florida. Um, you know, key deer, uh, manatees, etc., and you know there's an awful lot left to do. Um, before we go, and, and I guess we have two before we goes, because that was the first one. The second one is I want to tell, I want you to tell the story of how Florida almost killed you. It's at the beginning of your book, Oh, Florida. Um, and it, just tell us that story. 
Um, well, um, gosh. Um, so I was in the Boy Scouts. Um, years ago. Years ago. Yeah, years ago. Not well. I mean, I, I, my kids are in the Boy. My kids have been in the Boy Scouts, so I was back in the Boy Scouts as a scout leader. But this back then, when I was, you know, ten, eleven, something like that, and we went camping uh, on the Blackwater River, and um, we had set up the the way the Boy Scouts set up a swimming area is you put a you put a rope across uh, two sides and that defines where the swimming area is. And so, uh, I did not know how to swim, but my scoutmaster did not know that. And so I decided I was going to cross the river. So I started walking across Well, I lost my footing and fell on, fell into the water and immediately knew I'm going to drown. This, the current has me, it's going to sweep me out beyond where the lifeguard's watching. You thought you were going to um, die. I thought I was going to die. And I, and looking up though, I had this beautiful image of, of this wonderful, gorgeous sky up above the trees and everything. And it was just this, this vision of beauty, you know, that I was seeing while I was going down for the last time. And right at the last minute, I saw the rope and grabbed it. And that, you know, that saved me. Um, and, uh, and of course my horrified scoutmaster then immediately started teaching me a few basic strokes so that I could, <laughs> learn how to swim you but um but the to me that that's that's sort of symbolic of of life in florida that you know we're uh caught up in these dangerous forces we can't control that we're often over our head in over our heads and we're grabbing for any kind of lifeline we can see you learned the doom and gloom of florida from a young age and you've been covering it ever since <laughs> but it's beautiful come right. on down and come join us <laughs> right. Come on down. Come come and join in the party here. Yes. Uh, Craig Pittman, always so great to talk to you. Uh, the author of Old Florida, How America's Weirdest State Influences the Rest of the Country. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, certainly check out Oh Florida and also Cattail and also his podcast, Welcome to Florida. Uh, his Twitter feed is Craig Times. And thank you for listening to Axel Bank Reports History and Today, conversations with America's top nonfiction authors and why their books matter right now. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Axel Bank History. We update those with clips from the show, guest announcements, and book recommendations. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.